So uh, this evening we're going to be looking at a, an important subject. Let's start in Matthew chapter 28, looking at the passage about the Great Commission. I know that we have studied this before, but uh, it bears repeating on this particular subject. And then we will go then to the book of Acts and continue our study. All right, Matthew chapter 28, we'll start in verse number uh, 18. Matthew 28, verse number 18. It says this, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power, excuse me, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. So this, um, this evening, I would like to, to, to do just a quick study on the subject of believer's baptism. Believer's baptism. It's an important subject, and as, we, as we'll see, it's a subject that, uh, that it has deep roots in our faith. And so we'll start here, and then we'll go to the book of Acts. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for uh, your people here this evening. Thank you for those that are listening by way of the Internet. Thank you for the opportunity to, uh, to have your word, to know what it says. But Lord, we, we pray that you would help us to use your word rightly, to know your will, to know you personally even better. And uh, Lord, we just pray that you'd help us to grow in wisdom and understanding and knowledge here tonight. Please, Lord, by your spirit, even as we study a subject that is uh, probably very familiar, I pray that it would be a blessing to your people. Lord, we only want to do your will here at Choice Hills. That's why we're here, to know you, to love you, to walk with you, and to do what you want us to do. Lord, help us to do that individually and help us to do it as a church as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as we've studied, it is important, as we've gone through the book of Acts, we spent uh, a fair amount of time studying, as we were at the beginning of Acts chapter 2, the doctrine of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. These, these doctrines, uh, the doctrines of the Scripture don't, aren't, aren't a little islands where you can study them and they're independent and separated from everything else that's in the Bible. It is important that we understand the doctrine of Scripture, and you'll understand why, uh, hopefully, by the end of our, uh, our study tonight, uh, how these things work together and form the, what we might call the body of doctrine that we hold to which is, of course, what we believe to be and hope to be with the, the body of scriptural doctrine. Uh, we do not believe what we believe because we believe what we believe, we, because the Baptists believe it. We believe what we believe because of what the Scripture teaches. And that's an important distinction. It's an important distinction, and it's an important rule for us to understand why we believe what we believe. So, look at Acts, uh, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter number eight, chapter 28, verse 18, 19, and 20. Of course, in the Great Commission, you see here in verse number 19, Jesus says, the 
operative words in this, go ye therefore and teach. You have go and you have teach. Now we already studied this, so we won't belabor it, but the idea of teach in this, there are two teaches here. There's a teach in verse 19 and a teach in verse 20 and they're different teachings. So the, the, the operative word in verse number 19, what the Lord is commanding and really what the core of this account of the Great Commission is talking about is what we talked about before, which is the the, the final outcome, the, the goal of the Great Commission. The goal of the Great Commission is not just to preach the gospel and stop there and, and see people get saved. No, the goal is to take people who are unbelievers, who are in sin, who do not know God, and to bring them all the way down through this process, which we know it includes several things, but the end goal of the process is that they might be a what? Don't be shy. Be a disciple. In other words, we, like Paul said, we want them to be just as we are now. Right? We want them to be as we are. So this process, that's what this is talking about. The Lord is saying, take them from where they are, unbelievers who do not know the truth, do not know the gospel, to a disciple. One who follows and obeys the Lord. Not just a disciple of the church, but even greater than that, a disciple of Christ themselves. And of course, we know the word disciple is the main word in the book of Acts referring to Christians, referring to believers. The word believer and the word disciple is the most commonly used terms to refer to those that, believe, that believed in Christ in the book of Acts. So the Lord says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations to make disciples, to turn them from a, an unbeliever to a disciple of Christ. Now, what you find if you, if you pay attention to verse 19, you'll see a comma after the word nations, and then you'll see the word baptizing. And then in verse 20, the first word is teaching. This is what you call a participle. This is a verb that, and this, it doesn't matter if you're in Greek or if you're in English, this is, the same is true in both languages. If you, are, if you take a verb and you put ing on the end of it, what you do is you take that action and you can turn that into a noun or an adjective or an adverb to be used to modify something else. And so what you have here, not to get into the weeds, but the Lord's main, the main thing He's telling us to do is to disciple people, to, to turn them into disciples, okay? And the way He tells us to do that is by the word baptize and teach. That's the means, the means whereby a person becomes a disciple. Of course, we know there's, there's a lot more in there. And none of, the, none of the accounts of the Great Commission tells us the entire story of what the Lord wants us to do. That's why we put them together. We get a composite of what they all say. But what we do see here is that at a minimum, for a person to become a disciple, to go from a, an unbeliever to a disciple of Christ... The entrance, the entrance, uh, you might say the, the, the entrance of that discipleship is baptism, water baptism. It is the, water baptism is the outward ceremony, the outward ceremony. Now, we spent a lot of time this morning in the morning service and especially in Sunday school talking about the difference between the outward form and the, in, in the, the heart of a matter. And the heart of the matter is of primary importance, but God does have outward forms 
We, we might say ceremony, although I loathe that term. The outward, the baptism, water baptism, though, is an outward ceremony that marks the entrance of a person into the discipleship of Christ. Can you very well say you're a disciple of Christ if you've not been baptized in water? You can have believed in the, on the Lord Jesus Christ, but if you've not actually taken the first step of obedience after faith in Christ, then you can't very well say that you, you're a disciple of Christ now, can you? Because you're not following him, for he himself was baptized in water. All right? This is why we say, so it's the entrance. It's the entrance of discipleship, okay? Of course, we know faith comes before that. We're going to talk about that. But water baptism is the entrance into discipleship, according to verse 19. It is the way, the means, whereby someone is made a disciple, okay? This is why we call baptism, we say it is the first step of obedience. People say that, and, and sometimes you might be like, well, what is that in the Bible? Actually, it's, it's not actually spelled out that clearly in the Scripture, but it's from things like this. After one believes, they submit themselves to water baptism, and that is really the first act whereby they began to follow their Lord, right? Now, again, baptism is an outward form, is an outward form. Of course, you can, have, you, can, you can have the outward form all day long, and if you do not have faith in Christ and you've not been, you've not been born again, the outward form is not going to help you in the least. It's just water. It's just water. However, to a believer, the outward form is important. Now think about this. Even as we read this, verse 19, this is why we spent so much time talking about the baptism of John and then the baptism of the disciples and then the baptism of Christ. You remember we studied that? And what, what we saw, hopefully what you saw, is that there is, a, there is a lineage. There's a connection between John, who was the first, and then Jesus, who was baptized, and then the disciples who baptized for, for, for Jesus. And then after you get to Acts chapter 2, or the Great Commission, rather, and Jesus is then telling them to perpetuate this, this, uh, this form. And then you get into Acts chapter 2, where they're actually doing it. Peter says it in chapter 2, verse 38. So there's a connection that water baptism connects a new believer, a new disciple with Jesus Christ. Remember, he's, he's baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Ghost. But so there's a connect. When, you get, when a person gets baptized in water, they're being connected to John, to Jesus, and to the apostles. Why? Because this is all in a line of succession. I don't mean Baptist succession. I mean a line of succession that is that it flows from one to the other in, in our biblical history. So they're connected directly with Christ when, when we receive water baptism, but we're also connected with a group of believers, aren't we? Because when we get saved, like I was saved uh, not at the building here at Choice Hills, but I was saved through a ministry of Choice Hills at the youth camp. And then when we came back from the youth camp, I was baptized in that tank right up there in front of a group of believers. And by doing so, I was connected with, with, with the group of believers. Most of, most of you weren't there. Some of you weren't born. But, but I, was, I was connected with a group of believers because I was baptized before this group of believers, among this group of believers. So it is, in this way, it is an identification 
when a person gets, gets baptized in water, it identifies them with Christ because of all the doctrinal things we've seen before and identifies them with the church because it's done among the believers. Now, here's another interesting fact before we move on look at the book of Acts. Water baptism also identifies the new believer. Now listen, it doesn't matter what age or time period in which they, are, they believe in Christ and they get baptized. You know, you think there's been 2000, there, there have been 2,000 years of church history, right? Approximately 2,000 years of church history. It didn't matter if you were in the 1500s, the 1200s, the 800s, the 400s. It doesn't matter what period of, of church history that you're, that you're, you're saved or you're baptized, when you get baptized in water, you are identified with, as I said, John the Baptist, with Christ the Lord, but you're also baptized, you're also identified by virtue of that baptism with believers of all ages who have also been likewise baptized with this baptism. And this is a fact of church history, and it's so important in church history that it's a distinctive. In other words, it stands out in relief in church history because there are people that followed this and it, it connected them spiritually with those that came before them. So in 2023, in our time, we have a direct and scriptural connection with early believers. Think about that. We have a direct and scriptural connection with early believers. Why do we get baptized? Why do we baptize those that believe in Christ? You know why? For the same cause that they did in the 1200s, for the same cause they did in the 700s, and for the same cause that they did in the first century, because Jesus told us to. And so in that way, we're one, we're one group of identified, we're all in one big group, God's people throughout, the, throughout history. We are one body in Christ. And so... This is why the identification of baptism is so important. Now, as you'll notice in verse number 19, who is commanded to baptize? Now, this is not a command given to the new believer. This is a command given to the, those who are already disciples as they go and preach the gospel. They make disciples of, of all nations. The Lord tells them to baptize those people. So, therefore, baptism is essential to fulfilling the full scope of the Great Commission. And, and not only baptism, but also teaching them to observe all things. So, in other words, if we do not follow through and baptize new believers, and then follow through and disciple them, and we, we say disciple them, but teach them to follow the Lord and teach them what, God, what, what uh, Christ commanded, just like this says, if we do not do that, we have failed in the Great Commission. We have failed. Again, we talked about this before, but the Great Commission is not just about winning souls. You'll not hear me say that, use that terminology very often. The Great Commission is about evangelizing, preaching the gospel, but then doing more after that too. And it's a, it's a, it's a, a process that involves a number of steps, all of which must be fulfilled if we're going to say we did the Great Commission. We fulfilled what the Lord said to do. All right, so we see that in, in, in uh, Matthew 28. Let's look at Acts 4. We're going to try to go fast through these passages of Scripture. 
I just want to point out a few things from each one. Acts 4. This is where, uh, where we are in our study. No, no, we're not. Did I say four? I meant two. Two. I don't know why I wrote four. Acts 2. We're in Acts chapter 2, verse number 40 and 41 in our study in Acts at this time. And as we can already see in chapter 2, verse 38, uh, he told them, uh, he told them to be baptized. And then in verse 39, there's the promise. Verse 40, he said, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. And then in verse 41, then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. But notice, I want you to notice that the reception of Peter's word of the gospel, of course, Peter's preaching the gospel, so that's the word being referred to. The, the fact that they received the gospel, the, they received Peter's word in verse 41, was the, was, the, was the necessary requirement for what happens in verse 41, baptized. They that gladly received his word were baptized. Reception of the word of the gospel was present before they were baptized. And notice what it says. And the same day there were added unto them. Who's them? Exactly. It's the, the present, the current disciples, that, that 120. So if they're added to the 120, all right, so you have the group of 120. This is the means whereby they're added. This is how they're added. They're added first, they receive the word, and then they get baptized, and then you find them being added. Now, I don't know that this, this addition is some formal thing where, you know, there was a vote and they filled out a membership card. You know, I'm sure it wasn't, it wasn't that, you know, laid out like all of that. Of course, we do that. We do that kind of in the official way, trying to follow the, the spirit of what's being done here. But the idea is they did believe the gospel, and then after they believed, they were baptized, and that's the means whereby they were added. In other words, there was a process. They were, and once they had been added, now you no longer had 120 disciples. Now you had 3,120 disciples. And those 3,000 were, were in full measure with full rights and privileges, just the same as the original 120. They had, been, they had been saved, they had been baptized in water, and we assume, although it doesn't say it, that they had received the Spirit of God just the same. Now, just as we saw in Matthew chapter 28, think about this. This occurs 50 days, 50 days, not quite two months after Jesus was crucified, right? Think about it. It had only been two months since Jesus was crucified. And prior to Jesus being crucified was three and a half years of his ministry, which started with John and went from John and John decreased as Jesus increased, you know, John 3.30, right? That's the context. So when these believers were baptized... There was a strong connection to all that had been going on for the previous four years. They were following in that, they were continuing in that process. You see, there was a 
context and a connection. So when they were baptized, they were publicly identifying themselves not only with this group of believers, Peter and his group that were preaching, but they were identifying themselves with Jesus, all of whom all of those people knew who Jesus was and what he had done, and also with John the Baptist, who was the prophet that everybody understood was a prophet. All of that was connected. All of that was connected. But again, what do you see in verse 41? They received the word of God first. Look at Acts chapter 8. Look at Acts chapter 8. This is the story of uh, Philip preaching to the Samaritans. Verse number 12 says this, But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Notice in verse 12, they heard the word, having heard the word and believed the word, they were baptized. Were they baptized before? Or after they believed? Come on now. Obviously after. Obviously after. They were not permitted to be baptized before they had shown evidence or had made a clear profession of their faith. Okay? And... Just as John the Baptist required repentance and confession. Remember, we t- this is, again, this is why it's so important that we understand these things, these, the, the other doctrinal things that touch on this. What did John the Baptist require before he baptized people? Did he just baptize just anybody willy-nilly? They just show up and they're like, hey, John, you're great. I, I, you're a prophet and you, cool, you, have cool, you have cool clothes. Camel's hair and a leather a leathern girdle. And I like be- eating bugs like you. So, hey, baptize me. No, 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 no. When did John baptize people? Was there a requirement? Repentance. They had to repent. And of course, where does repentance happen? Come on now. In the heart. But a symbol of that repentance, a token of that was confession. And when they confessed, what did John do? He dunked them in the water, right? You see, there was a requirement for John to baptize people. And in the same way, again, these are all connected. John's baptism, Jesus' baptism, the Great Commission, and now the Acts of the Apostles, all those are connected. And there's also a requirement here. They believed. Simon believed. These Samaritans believed. So, and so, in the same way as John, water baptism requires faith in Christ as a prerequisite. Now, notice what it says, end of verse 12. They were baptized, both men and women. What you don't see is children. Now, can a child be baptized? Yes. If they exercise and confess clear and a clear understanding of faith in Christ. Yes. But But it says men and women. And what you also see is it does say men and women. So daddy could not believe in Christ and then get baptized as a representative of the family. It was an individual decision to be made. 
both to receive Christ and to be baptized. Did you know even in our church, husband and wives can't, be, can't join the church as a unit. They join individually. Because the husband must be baptized, believe and be baptized in water, and so must the wife believe, and the children. Like, there, there, are, no, there are no, like, children members of Choice Hills. There's only one, there's only one group of membership, membership that Choice, Choice Hills Baptist Church recognizes, and that is someone who has believed in Christ and has been baptized in water after they have believed. Doesn't matter their age, doesn't matter their family. It's because of things like this. Both sexes are mentioned. Baptism is not a family affair. And this is where this is important. This means it goes back to personal faith in Christ. Now, here's the problem. Pedo-Baptist. How many of you know what a pedo-Baptist is? Pedo-Baptist. A pedo-Baptist is a baby baptizer. Or someone who practices infant baptism, okay? Which is basically every Protestant denomination, okay? Just... Put it like that. And the Catholic, the Catholic religion also practices it. That's what pedo-baptism is. So what the pedo-baptists teach and use as their theological support is they say that we're bringing our, they'll also use terminology like this, we're bringing our children up into the covenant. That's what they say. And so to do that, the the, the rite that they perform is what they refer to as baptism, and almost none of them actually dunk ba- the ba- their babies. There's a few men there. I saw one video, I guess it was an Orthodox something, just like violently dunk this, could not have been more than three-month-old baby. I'll tell you, if it was my baby doing that, I mean, he's like, <laughs> it was like, why? I'm telling you, it was violent. It was like washboard baby. <laughs> and uh, I was like, would you, let, would, you let, would you let somebody do that to Nathaniel? <laughs> I hope not. But here's the thing. They baptize babies because they say they're bringing them up into the covenant. The problem is, though, there's no scripture for that at all. Personal faith is required. Look at verse 16. For as yet, talking about the Samaritans, he, he was fallen upon none of them, the Holy Spirit, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now note, they had, been, they, had been, they had believed in Christ, they had been baptized in water, but they had not yet received the Spirit of God. Now the Lord is going to reverse this in Acts chapter 10, right? Where they're going to believe in Christ, they're going to receive the Spirit of God immediately, Cornelius, and then later they're going to be baptized. We'll see that in just a minute. So don't get confused in that. Look at Acts chapter 8, verse number 36. This is the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. So they're going along through the desert. Verse 36 says, And as they went on their way, they came to a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And I say, Something does hinder people to be baptized. There is a requirement. That's what that says. It's just the eunuch asked. And so Philip gave him the answer. Here's the requirement. Verse 37, And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Clear expression of his faith in Christ. Personal faith in Christ. 
And so verse 38, and he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the, and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord called away Philip. So notice, Philip gave him a test. He didn't just willy-nilly baptize people. And I'm telling you, Baptist churches baptize people without asking if they have faith in Christ. That is wrong. That is wrong. There is nothing in the world wrong with examining someone's faith before you baptize them. In fact, I would say it's biblical. I would say it's biblical. But notice, he expressed his faith in Christ before Philip was willing to baptize him. And notice the mode of baptism. Mode is the word we use to describe how they're baptized. The mode of baptism is they went into the water and they came out of the water. Now, if Philip, listen, if Philip was just going to pour water over his head, that's called a fusion. There's your 10 cent word for the day. If Philip was just going to pour water over his head or sprinkle, he could have just gotten a little cup or a dish or something and just dipped into the water. He didn't have to get wet. They got wet because they were all the way in the water. And they went into the water and came up out of the water, which matches exactly with what the word baptize means. It means to immerse. That's what the word means. Now, just as a, as a note, verse 37. <clears throat> Let's read this again. But I'm going to read verse 36. I'm going to skip verse 37, and I'm going to read verse 38. Okay? Ready, set, go. And as they went down their way, they came unto a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. What's missing? <laughs> the requirement to be baptized. But you know what? Almost every modern version of the Bible removes verse 37. In fact, the ESV says this, And as they were going along the road... They came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. But what's interesting is they have, they have verse 36 labeled 36, and they have verse 38 labeled 38, but they skip verse 37. Literally. In the verse numbering, they removed the number 37 from the verses in the text. So it goes 36, 38, which I thought, well, that's weird. And of course, here's what they, they put a note on it, and they said, some manuscripts add all or most of verse 37. But, and of course, it's, it's a big, long textual issue about where it's in the Latin Vulgate, it's in the Old Latin, but it's not in the manuscripts that they believe are the most reliable and the, most, the oldest and best, they say. But what's interesting about this is, we won't get into all that, but in uh, AD 180, a man named Irenaeus, how many of you have heard of Irenaeus? Now you have, all right? Irenaeus, here's what he said. This is a quote from his writings, is from a, uh, one of his writings called Against Heresies. He said this. Now, this is in the, in the second century, okay? He said, Philip declared that this was Jesus and that the Scripture was fulfilled in him, and as did also the, the believing eunuch himself. And immediately requesting to be baptized, he said, I believe Jesus Christ to be the Son of God. 
Now, Philip is quoting, I'm sorry, Irenaeus is quoting verse 37. The verse that they say is not original to the Bible, which is why they take it out. But in AD 180, he knew it existed. And that predates, by at least 100 years, the, the very manuscripts they base this, their removal of this verse. So that's just a side note. The verse is important because the verse tells us the requirement for baptism. Look at chapter 9. We're going to speed up now. Look at chapter 9, verse number 18. Talking about Saul of Tarsus. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. Remember, the Lord had just appeared to him. The scales, of course, that's a literal you know, event, but it's, it's symbolic of the fact that his eyes were open to the truth. In other words, he believed. He believed in Christ. And he later testifies to that fact. Then in chapter 10, verse 44, sorry, then he was baptized. All right, chapter 10, verse 44. It says this, of course, this is the reference to Cornelius. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word, and they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized? Do you see this? Who was allowed to be baptized and who was not was a matter for consideration. Do you see that? It wasn't just, oh, they want to be baptized? Just baptize them. No, he said, Peter was convinced by God that he had no right to deny it because God gave evidence that they had believed in Christ, even though they were Gentiles. And so they believed in Christ. They received the Spirit of God. And Peter says, well, baptize them then. That's what the Lord told us to do. And verse 48 says, and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Were these people believers or unbelievers? They were believers. Chapter 16. Verse 14. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, and she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized and her household, she besought us, saying, If you have judged me faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. When Lydia was baptized, had she believed? Yes. She attended the things which were spoken of Paul. That's pretty clear, I would say. But notice she says, and her household. She was baptized, verse 15, and her household. This is the puny kind of examples people use that are pedo-baptists that believe in infant baptism to say that Paul baptized Lydia's babies. There are no babies in that verse. Are there? We don't know how old Lydia was. We don't know how old her kids were. So you, you would... You would exactly. There's, we don't know anything about her household. We don't know who it included. So for us to read into something because we have a doctrine we want to prove that is obviously contradicted in the rest of Scripture, that's not wise. 
Look at verse 32. Same thing happens with the jailer who gets saved. Verse 31 says, or verse 30, and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. Notice the mention of his house twice. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized he and all his straightway. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. Notice that. His salvation. He asked, what must I do to be saved? Paul said, be baptized. Right? No. <laughs> he said, believe. And so, verse 32, I read verse 32 as he kind of explains the gospel a little bit more clearly, maybe. And then finally, the man believes those in his family believe, and then they're all baptized. Verse 33. Just like Lydia that we read a minute ago, his house was saved. But we have no idea how old his kids were. We don't know. To read into it and to say, well, he, Paul baptized babies, that's, that's, but I'm telling you, I'm not joking when I say this. These two verses are the sum total of scriptural proof for infant baptism. That's it. Not convinced, huh? Not convinced. All right, look at chapter 18. We're almost done. Hang with me, hang with me. Chapter 18, verse number 8. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house. And many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. Were they believers when they got baptized? Yep. Chapter 19, verse 5. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul explains the gospel above. Verse 4, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him, which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. They got baptized. Now, I'll say a few things in conclusion. <clears throat> there is not a single example in the Bible in which a person who did not already believe in Christ was, was baptized in water. Not one. Not a child and not an adult. The one exception, all right, somebody, trivia question, who, who might be the one exception? You, who? G, okay, you had to be all spiritual on us. One exception would be Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot, but they all thought he was a believer. Now, hear, hear, hear me now, this is, this is important. As we've seen in the Bible, in every case, personal faith was present in the person when they received water baptism. Because personal faith is required prior to water baptism, we know then that water baptism does not have merit to save. And we're the biggest sticklers to baptism there are, except for the Campbellites. But they believe it in error. Because personal faith is required prior to water baptism, it must then exclude those, it must exclude children who are not of age 
or who have not personally, personally believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the reason why infant baptism is not scriptural. Because it does not, the, the person being baptized, the baby, does not have the capacity to believe on Christ. That's why it's unscriptural. Besides the fact that there is not one example anywhere in the Bible. And because of this, because of the scriptural example, we hold that a person must be baptized after they have true faith in Christ to be accepted as a member of this local visible body. That's the scriptural example. And you know what? For that reason, throughout history, people have called people, people have called groups that believed like us, Anna Baptists. Anna is the Latin, the Latin prefix, which means re, re. So they would, they would call as a, as, a, as a slander, they would say, oh, you're re-baptizing people because they rejected infant baptism. And they said afterward, when someone became an adult and they received Christ, they would insist that that person be baptized again. To us, it's not again. To us, it's the first time. But it was a slander. Now, hear me. If we did not do this, though, if we did not insist the person have true faith in Christ before they were, accepted, were baptized and then accepted as a member of our church, and we accepted some form of baptism for children, eventually, you know what happened? Our church would fill with unbelievers who are members because they've been baptized. You see what I'm saying? This is exactly what happened to the Protestant denominations. They baptized babies. The, those babies came into the covenant, were members of the church, but they weren't even saved. They grew up as a member of the church and went through the catechisms and all that, but they were already members of the church and eventually unbelievers decided where the church went and what it believed and did. Historically, this practice led to the corruption of the churches because they became filled with unbelieving members because of pedo-baptism. I want to read something from this book. If you're interested in a, in a book that explains some of these things, it's primarily a history. It's called The History of, Baptist, of the Baptists by John Christian. It's no longer in print. It's in two volumes, but I'm, I'm, uh, I'm part of the way through the first volume, but it's been very helpful to me. But I want to read you something um, early on in the book that I thought was interesting. This is written by, um, the, it, it's in the Osberg Confession of Faith of the Lutheran Church. All right. The Lutheran Church practices pedo-baptism, and they do not practice baptism by immersion. It says, To speak properly, the Church of Christ is a congregation of the members of Christ, that is, of the saints, which do truly believe and rightly obey Christ. Now, these are pedo-baptists that accept members who haven't believed in Christ, babies, but then they are saying that the members of the church are actually saints, believers in Christ. So they're acknowledging what we believe. In this section, Dollinger, a Catholic scholar, professor of church history in the University of Munich, says, quote, There is no proof or hint in the New Testament that the apostles baptized infants or ordered them to be baptized. It's a Catholic scholar. 
another. Dr. Edmund de Presens, a French senator and Protestant, says, quote, No positive fact sanctioning the practice of infant baptism can be adduced from the New Testament. The historical proofs alleged here are in no way conclusive. You have Protestants, you have Catholics, historians acknowledging what we're doing is not in the Bible. And we scratch our heads and we think, well then, why do you do it? <laughs> the answer is very simple. The scriptures alone are not the basis of their theology and practice. That's the bottom line. The authority of scripture uh, tradition is also one of their bases, even though it contradicts the practice of Scripture. Now hear me, we're almost finished, I promise. The authority of Scripture then is one of the key distinctions between Baptists and other groups. The subject of baptism is one of the subjects that brings that contrast into clear view. We don't practice infant baptism because it ain't in the Bible. Period. <laughs> it's that simple. Now, in conclusion, despite the fact that we insist that only believers be baptized, and we insist that people are baptized by believers' baptism before they can be a part of our church, it would be wrong for us to hold some silly idea that only members of Baptist churches go to heaven. Here's why. Number one, the scriptures do not teach salvation by being a member of any church. Salvation is by Christ alone. We are Baptists. We, we, we build things in our building for that very purpose. But we don't believe it saves anybody. Number two, the scriptures do not teach that baptism has power to save. Not our baptism or anybody else's. Number three, the scriptures teach that when a person trusts in Christ, he is immediately placed in the body of Christ by the Spirit of God. And the question of water baptism comes afterward. So when a person believes, it doesn't matter what background they might come from, Catholic, Islam, Buddha, whatever, it doesn't matter. When they believe in Christ, that moment they're in the body of Christ by the Spirit of God. They're saved. The question of water baptism comes after. You see why our doctrinal understanding of what it means to be baptized by the Spirit is so important? That's what keeps you from saying stupid stuff about other groups or saying only Baptists go to heaven or some rubbish like that. So, we acknowledge then that people of other denominations and groups, as long as their understanding of the gospel and salvation is true to Scripture, they also are part of God's family and then are our brothers and sisters. That doesn't mean I'm going to let them be a member of the church if they haven't been scripturally baptized. But if they believe in Christ, they are our brothers and sisters in Christ. They need to get baptized. <laughs> but they are our brothers and sisters in Christ. I hope this study has been a blessing to you. Let's pray.